Stranger in Moscow, uh, the late, great MJ, Michael Jackson, Wacko Jacko, 11 minutes after 11. A-teamers, it's time for the Closet Conversations. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM, 105.1 FM in Johannesburg. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations Let's welcome our A-team doctor guest, uh, Dr. Anthony Smith, who's a family physician and a medical sexologist. Dr. Smith, good evening. Patricia, good evening to you and to your and to your listeners this evening. Another Thursday where we're going to be educated about our sexual health, and today we're talking genital herpes. Now, for for us who think um, STIs are just a thing that are you know just just a thing that happens, it comes and goes. Um, how serious is genital herpes? You know, Patricia, the, the thing with herpes um, is that on one hand it's really not serious. It doesn't have the kinds of long-term health consequences that HIV has, for example, or hepatitis has, for example. But the the impact that it has on people's sex lives and the quality of their lives is really significant. And for that reason, it's quite important. And there are also different um, factors about herpes which make it a little bit more unusual compared to some of the STIs, um, which makes it important as well. So it's really one of those STIs, which when I deal with in my practice, causes incredible distress to people. And um, I call it almost the joker in the pack of STIs because it really can pop up at unusual times and there's a whole lot of characteristics around it which make it difficult to predict and sometimes even difficult to prevent. Hmm. Let, let's talk about what causes this genital herpes before we even get to some of the signs and symptoms. Okay, so genital herpes, if we talk about herpes in general, um, not just genital herpes, and I think audience members will know about cold sores that you have in the mouth, and those are usually caused by HSV-1, that's herpes simplex virus 1. And the cold sores that you get in your genitals are usually caused by HSV2, that's herpes simplex virus 2. So these are the same family, but actually different viruses. But to make things just a little bit more complicated is the fact that more recently and over the last several years, number of years, you can have HSV1 in the genital area and you can have HSV2 in the oral area. So they can actually be transferred from one place to the other through, for example, in oral genital sex. So as a result, either or can exist in both in both areas. Uh, but overall, HSV2 is the, the particular virus which is most likely to be found in the genitals. And the, the thing about this virus is that it's transmitted from direct skin-to-skin contact. It's transmitted via secretions, via open skin, um, close sexual contact usually Um, and then once you have the herpes virus the problem with it is that it doesn't go away it sits in the skin and in the nerves 
of the skin around that area and then can recur from time to time. And the thing which makes it so difficult is that you can give it to somebody else without your knowing that you have it. So you don't have to have a sore when you give it. And you can also give it when you protect it with a condom. So some people think that, oh, you're wearing a condom, that's going to protect you from herpes, from everything. Well, as you know, the condom goes down the shaft of the penis, but it doesn't cover the whole penis, is it? And it also doesn't cover the base of the area of uh, the, the groin. And so you're able to transfer through that area, even when you think you're being careful. And this really is something which can play havoc on people's lives when they get it after thinking that they've been safe. So this is another reason why one has to be careful and really know about herpes, which is why we are discussing it tonight. Sure, Dr. Smith, after that, I think um, yeah, a lot of people are going to be put off sex uh, with new partners. This whole let's explore, one night stand, uh, friends with benefits, multiple partners. Yeah, not something I think a lot of people are going to be going into after hearing this information. But let's hear from the A-teamers. I did say that our WhatsApp line is down right now, but our SMS line is AOK41391. That's where you can send your SMSs or call in and uh, Benzito has said if if you call in he promises to call you back <laughs> simply because there's an issue with our whatsapp line so yeah be nice call 0614104107 Benzito is ready to be nice back today and uh, let's hear what are your thoughts around gentile herpes and now we've heard that it, it also comes from you can get it even on your mouth and even with the use of condoms this can still spread oh because yeah no dr smith so the characteristics you say this is the joker in the pack when it comes to stis what are some of the characteristics of this joker called gentile herpes (laughs) well i mean the irony here is that it's not a laughing matter i suppose um and i'm hoping that uh, by the time we finish the conversation we we won't be put off sex altogether this is just you know one small you know kind tiny little corner of you know sexual activity as a whole but what are the characteristics so how do you you know phrased in another way let's say how do you know if you possibly have genital herpes as a man or as a woman so usually it'll manifest as a sore as a small little blister and if it's the very first time that you're having it it could really be very very painful and some of the lymph nodes that you have in that particular area which drains the the, maybe the, the genital area can become enlarged and you can get a little bit of a fever. And that's if you have it for the very first time. Your immune system recognizes it and mounts a, a big fight to try to get rid of it. And then you feel a little bit sick. And then that also will usually last for yeah, anywhere between you know, five to ten days. And then will go away by itself as your immune system gets rid of it. If it's the case, however, that you've gotten the the herpes infection a while ago and you're getting what are called recurrences um, or relapses uh, or outbreaks, then it really can be something really minor. And not everybody who gets herpes is going to have a recurrence or an outbreak. They occur really only in the percentage of people and some people may have it very rarely or some people may have it more frequently. It does tend to recur if you are having your immune system being a little bit low uh, or if your body's just not fighting things off enough. So. You, you, what you get is this little sore, it's a little ulcer, um, and for many people, it may be hardly anything that you hardly notice. And I also have to say that, in fact, the majority of people who have herpes 
may not even know that they've ever had it. So there's a large percentage of people who don't really even have know that they've had it, which is which is really why I think it's a good idea for people to have their antibodies tested or to be reviewed by a doctors if they're starting off new sexual relationships, for example. So the, the symptoms, this is why it's the joker, because sometimes you can have it and you cannot know necessarily that you have it. Mm. Okay, so in terms of herpes, and you say, you know, the gentile herpes, you'll get a sore blister around the penis, scrutum, the buttocks, the anus, um, uh, the vagina, and sometimes you won't get it at all, and you Mm. won't know that you've got it. So this, if you don't know it and you are asymptomatic, how would that affect your sex life? I mean, you don't know. Your partner doesn't know. Um, would there be anything different in, in, in w- once you've contracted it and being asymptomatic in your sexual activities? Well, no, there, there really wouldn't be a, anything because you, you just don't really know about it. But the, the chances are that if you've never experienced the sore, if you have no knowledge of it, that you don't have it. So I don't want your listeners to be each of them going, oh my God, this may be something that I've got. Because overall, the chances are that you don't. But there is a possibility that you could have it. So what do you do if that's the case? Well, the first thing that you could do, which is, um, it's a possibility, is you could have an antibody test to see if you've got antibodies to, to the herpes virus. Now, to ex- that's herpes 1 or 2. Now, this in itself is not foolproof because the antibody test itself isn't a way of clearly diagnosing herpes. The only really good way and true way of diagnosing herpes is by doing a swab of an actual sore. But if you were to have no antibodies um, on, a, on a test, then you could be reasonably certain that you haven't been exposed previously to the herpes virus. So that's one way. But you know, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, you can't go around always... Um, knowing absolutely everything and the chances are if you've never had a a, a sore before that you actually don't have herpes and I'm not now advocating that everybody who's having sex should go and check for herpes antibodies because overall the likelihood is that you don't. It's just really a question of being aware of your own sexual history, of being aware perhaps of your partner's sexual history and if there's a, a suspicion and if you are a person who's had many, many sexual partners or you with a partner who's had many, many sexual partners, then maybe it's worthwhile doing it. But for the most part, people generally are okay. So I certainly don't want to tell everybody, go out and have antibodies checked. Um, because if you, you know, if you are, for the most, for the most part, if you, you, you won't have herpes, but if you do have it, it's not going to be something which uh, shows itself in any meaningful way. So via oral sex, um, skin-to-skin interaction, even with a condom, uh, anal sex, vaginal sex, herpes can be spread. And I think this is why we need to be very careful when we go into uh, intimate, uh, sexually intimate relationships. Now, once a person has been tested for uh, genital herpes, is it easy to treat it? So it, it, it really, there's a lot that you can do, and it's, it's a really useful thing. I, mean, I think, you know, we're having a difficult conversation tonight because this is a difficult thing to talk about. But imagine if you're a person who's just been diagnosed with, with herpes. And this is um, something that comes up maybe, well, not frequently, but I think over the years I've had so many conversations with people who've just been diagnosed. And really, 
the first step in the diagnosis is getting somebody to just accept and get over the shock of the diagnosis that they've got because that in itself can be something which can really be debilitating, cause them a great deal of anxiety and really cause them to be quite low and sometimes even depressed because it's quite a shock to be to be told that this is a diagnosis that you have um, even though you are unlikely at the end of the day to really get sick from it or for it to affect your, your overall health in any way at all. But it's something which is quite difficult for people to come to terms to and it can take for some people quite a long time. Other people, it takes a very short time and they're very relaxed and they're able to understand that they can take responsibility and they can uh, find ways of decreasing their own relapses and also decreasing transmission to their partners. So the question then is how do you manage it and how do you decrease transmission to your partner? Well, the first thing that you can do is not to have sex when you have a cold sore or uh, a, an outbreak. And that really does reduce um, re- reduce transmission by a large degree. The second thing is you can wear condoms. And the third thing that you can do is actually take medication which suppresses the amount of viral replication in the genitals and in that area, decreasing the amount of times that you're going to pass it on. So it's quite important to also put it into perspective. Just say you've got, just say a man has got genital herpes and he's got a partner over the course of a year, um, even just taking some of those precautions, the amount of times he's going to transmit it is actually very, very low. Only approximately 7 to 10% of the time will he transmit it to his partner in the course of the year of regular sex. They're having sex regularly, sometimes protected, sometimes unprotected in the way that, you know, can be, you know, just general, the way people have sex on average. So the chances of actually transmitting it are quite low, but they are there. You decrease it by not having sex when you've got a cold sore, using a condom, and also potentially using a medication to suppress um, the outbreaks. And that's generally quite effective and can take down transmission rates to close to zero. This medication you speak to that uh, suppresses uh, the herpes, is it found over the counter or do you need a prescription from a doctor for it? So that's prescriptive medication, prescription medication. Um, acyclovir um, is the most common one. Um, there's famcyclovir, gancyclovir. Um, these are very specific antivirals, not antiretrovirals. Don't confuse that with medicines for HIV. These are just antivirals, and they work very, very effectively. And in fact, they also work really well if you are having an outbreak or an ulcer. They suppress it, and they can get rid of the sore very, very quickly as well. So that's another advantage to having that discussion with your doctor if you happen to be having regular outbreaks um, or just particularly bad outbreaks. And you can use this medication not only to treat and not only to decrease the amount of times you have outbreaks or to diminish your circulating uh, viral load within that area when you're having sex, but you can also use it as a preventative for those people who are having outbreaks relatively regularly. That's quite a uh, um, a medication is quite a safe medication with very, very few side effects. Um, and so it's very easily tolerated. It's not a medication which really affects people very badly when they take it. So one could take it every day. I mean, if, if you say it can't be cured, this Gentile herpes, and one needs to be able to manage it in order for them to live easily and uh, still enjoy a relatively safe sexual life, that means... this. No medication could be taken all the time yeah in reality what happens is that people will take it 
at, at certain times and they'll stop taking it or they'll take it um, maybe not every single day, but, um, you know, on and off. Uh, it, it really does depend and can be individualized according to that person's needs at a particular time. But if you are taking it regularly, you, you know, there's no reason why your sex life shouldn't be an absolutely normal sex life. Um, once you've gotten just to the point where you understand this is something that you have to live with and you then get on with it. And usually what happens is that that does take a little bit of time, but after you've got your head around it, it's pretty much business as usual. All right, A-team is there. It is. It can be managed, uh, gentle herpes, but you need to be able to see a doctor. You can't manage it from home. Call in on uh, 011712, uh, 714, excuse me, 2006 or uh, SMS 41391 in order for you to ask your questions or comment on what we are discussing right now. We are talking genital herpes. So, um, Dr. Smith, looking at uh, genital herpes, yes, you've said it's the joker um, of the pack. But this particular mm. joker, I mean, if you've got it severely, can it affect other things in, in, in your general health? If you've got severe herpes that has not been treated, you've been ignoring it, you've been having these uh, sores around your, your uh, genital areas and have done nothing, can it lead to a bigger issue? This is that's an important question because if you are having... Uh, very severe attacks, very frequent attacks. You've got to ask yourself the question, why this is happening? And you've got to start thinking about your immune system because to have frequent herpes attacks means that your immune system is limping along and, and really is weakened for some reason. So the first thing you've got to say is, well, why would that be the case? What's actually happening? What other problem could I be having which... Um, is possibly compromising my my immune system. So, for example, have I got an undiagnosed major illness, um, some kind of chronic illness uh, that that needs to be looked at? Do I have a problem with diabetes, for example, that's not been diagnosed? Do I have an underlying immune issue like HIV um, or anything more serious than that? And we're talking about the extremes over here because this isn't the average person with herpes. The average person has very very manageable infections. And then more pertinent to your question is what negatives can the actual herpes have on the person? So if your immune system is really, really bad, the, the, the actual virus can spread to other parts of your body and notably to the brain where it can cause a type of a meningitis. But to be you know, in total truthfulness, this is not a condition that's going to happen with an average person. You generally have to be very, very sick. This happens, for example, with people who are in hospital with, who are very sick with other illnesses. It will happen in um, ICU settings um, or people who are just very, very generally ill. So if you're just a person that happens to have herpes, you really mustn't be too concerned about this happening. Um, though it would be important for your doctors to know this if you should, by chance, fall quite ill with some other illness. The other thing which is important with herpes is pregnancy. And during pregnancy, it's absolutely fine. But the one thing which really one does need to be aware of is that if a woman happens to have herpes, active herpes, at the time of childbirth, it can then be transmitted to the just-born infant. And that can be very dangerous for the infant. So any person who happens to have active herpes and are going to give birth, that needs to be managed quite carefully by their obstetrician, um, whoever's delivering the baby. And that, of course, can also be managed. So there are ways of doing that. 
um, just something to be keeping in mind mind of. And then the other factor, which is important, is that if you're somebody who's having recurrent sores, it makes it easier to get other STIs, in particular HIV. You are three to four times more likely to be infected by somebody else who's got HIV. When I say that, if you happen to have had sex with somebody with HIV, you're three to four times more likely to become infected by them if you've got those open sores. So, you know, if you're somebody who's been diagnosed with, with, with herpes, you possibly also want to check to make sure that you're also free of all the other STIs. I'm glad you touched on the issue of um, unborn children and their mothers having herpes. So what if the mother is not aware that uh, she's got herpes and she's pregnant? Like you said, while pregnant, there's not much issue. But the, uh, the, the birth process is the one that needs to be managed. And if she's not aware, the health practitioner has not checked uh, for herpes, what will then happen to this child? Well, really, that, that isn't a problem. That isn't so much of a problem. It, it really is the problem if there's active sores and there is um, really you know, problem in the gen- problems of active herpes in the genitals at the time. Um, and, and that's the scenario under which it's more likely to become infectious to the newly born infant. But if you just happen to have had herpes, and, but you do not have sores at that particular time, you're not shedding very much, then it really isn't as much of a problem. So, uh, you know, we don't want listeners out there who maybe have had uh, genital herpes before, but it's been absolutely fine and are going to be uh, giving birth for them to be worried. But nevertheless, to tell their gynecologists or obstetricians that they've had it before, just so that's something that they can keep in mind if uh, a, a normal vaginal delivery is planned. And then what happens if, uh, you know, the baby contracts uh uh, gentle wall, uh, herpes. Is it possible? I mean, if there's an active sore in the area. Um, so, so, if there's an active, if an active sore, then you you have to treat the child because all those medications, the acyclovir, as we talked about, all of those can definitely be utilised. Uh, you know, you can give them intravenously, you can give them orally. So, you know, all of those medications can definitely be be used. But of course, a, a newborn infant is very vulnerable, and um, you really don't want to run into complications. For the most part, these can all be treated, but um, you'd really prefer not to have to treat them so that you don't get any complications. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, infants are quite likely, most, most cases of HSV-1, that's the kind of oral sore that you have around the mouth, are in fact transmitted to children as infants, maybe not necessarily at birth, but as infants. And they then tend to get it and, you know, they can grow up with, with you know, they get cold sores every now and then and grow up into adolescence and adults with, with, with cold sores. And I think that's also a lesser known factor about HEC1, that the majority of people who have them actually got them when they were infants as well. But that really is a slightly different issue altogether. Oh, so let, let's talk about that issue. It might be different, but I mean, how do the children get um, the, the um, oral herpes? How easily is it transmitted? Is it because we are touching them, kissing them, and oh boy, our kids, little babies, cute, and everyone wants to kiss them. Thank goodness to COVID that kissing has stopped. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think this is this is the case. Um, is that you know you you know children are they 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 designed to draw attention to themselves because they're just inherently so exceptionally cute. You know, you want to play with a child, you want to interact, and you want to be close. And they, of course, need closeness in order to grow and survive uh, and form attachments and healthy attachments. So it's usually through that kind of close um, 
close attachment, just you know, being in the close vicinity of the mother, most likely, and other family members. Um, I mean, we see that, you know, children, there's secretions all over the place. You know, there's saliva and mucus and all that. You know, so it's really, um, and, and anybody knows with a family, that uh, it, it's kind of like a somewhat chaotic environment. And in fact, yeah, that's how children build up their immune systems, by being exposed to all kinds of things in their environment. And that's how their immune systems become strong. And part of that immune system is this exposure, you know, with, within, within the exposure of all the bugs that they are going to come into contact with. Herpes virus is one of those. So, but it's totally benign. It's really nothing to be worried about. Though sometimes kids can get sores which can be quite severe and do require medication and can be quite unpleasant for them. But generally, um, unless, once again, they have severe other problems, malnutrition, HIV, um, you know, major issues like that, these problems are easily treated. Um, but I think, Patricia, the other thing which you may want to discuss as well, but maybe not now, is just you know, how to deal with telling somebody and talking to somebody about having herpes and, you know, how do you tell your partner? I mean, imagine that scenario where you now are going out and you're dating somebody uh, and you're going to be embarking on a sexual relationship with them and then you have to start thinking to yourself, that, well, what do I say? I mean, I don't know if that was one of the questions that you maybe wanted to ask or go through. Well, let's definitely go through that because it is very important, but we'll do so after this quick break. A-teamers, remember you can call in on 011-714-2006 or you can send an SMS to 41391 as our WhatsApp line is currently down. Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations A-teamers, we're in discussion with Dr. Anthony Smith, who's a family physician and a medical sexologist, and we're talking gentle herpes. How does it affect your sex life? How does it affect uh, your partner? And and, uh, we've learned that herpes is not curable, but manageable manageable so speak to your health practitioner um if you have herpes or you just want to have a test let me go to an a-team on the line and on there good evening Patricia how are you doing my darling good thank you Nande. how are you can't complain excellent Patricia, i want the doctor the dr anthony smith to really educate us he first of all says it's a joker in the peg well I beg to differ because this can be quite deadly, you know. Um, for example, he mentioned that it looks like this herpes, whether it's simplex one, simplex two, it can metastasize into the brain and be a meningitis, right? Um, earlier on, uh, some weeks ago, we did discuss meningitis, um, crypto, locus, whatever, you know. And this is not a joking matter. Meningitis, when untreated, can be 100% fatal. All right? So, you know, I'm confused. One stage, he says again, if you've got herpes, I suppose that you don't know that you you have herpes, and you happen to have sex with someone who's HIV positive, you know, you could be in for it. However, Patricia, 
what if you have sex with somebody who's a discordant relationship? In other words, discordant partner, you know, he's using um, what um, this viral load thing, ARVs, the discordant partner. So will you get serious complications of herpes? It looks like you can use condom, but then close to the scrotum, you can have it, right? Is it similar to HPV, human papillary virus? Patricia, ask the doctor to square some circles for me. Thank you. Many circles that need to be done here. Thank you very oh, much, Nonde. <laughs> uh, oh. Dr. Smith, yeah, let's uh, yes. square the circles. Oh. Yes, well, I must say, I, th- I think that these are very pertinent questions and certainly um it, you know i think that the fact that there these that it gives rise to these kinds of misunderstandings explains a little about what i mean by when i say joker in the pack so when i say joker i really don't mean funny i mean like you know the joker is the one that can take on many forms you don't really know what it means exactly it undermines our understanding of things a little bit I mean, we know from the Joker and from Batman that the Joker in, in, in the Batman comics is, a, is, is anything but a humorous character, is, is exactly the opposite of that. So I don't mean it in a way that it's funny at all. Um, I do mean that it's uh, something which we can't really fully, um, uh, we can't cure it exactly. We often don't know exactly uh, whether, it's, whether it's there or not um, most of the time. The huge majority of the time, I think it's very important for me to be clear that the kind of meningitis that it gives is exceptionally rare. I think I did say that. And it really only occurs in very, very specific circumstances. And that probably isn't even worthwhile bringing up, except that one has to bring it up just for completion's sake. So the massive majority of people, and let me say that between the ages of 15 and 50 in the United States, we're talking upwards of 15% of the population have herpes simplex. So, you know, if, you know, for, for, for getting, you know, the, the issue of meningitis, which in itself won't necessarily kill you, but is an extremely unpleasant thing to have, um, is just so, so rare that it doesn't really apply to people you know, 99.99% of people who actually have herpes. So I think it's safe to say that most people with herpes will not suffer a serious health consequence of it, but they will suffer consequences nevertheless. They will have some health issues, and above all, they will have to consider living with a, 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 with a condition that can't be cured, managing the condition for themselves and their partners, and also dealing with the mental health circumstances that occur by virtue of having the diagnosis and having to live with that. And um, I mean, I can share a little example of a patient of mine who grew up in a very religious environment as a younger person. And this environment was so religious that, you know, in, in, in her mind, anything associated with an STI was considered to be sinful. And she left that religious environment and then went on to lead a more secular life. But of course, when you grow up in an environment, it stays with you. And when she, at an older age, got a diagnosis of having herpes, it was one of the most traumatic things that she came across because it reawakened all of those underlying associations of STIs with, with, uh, with sin and with shame and all of those things. And one needs a fair amount of understanding. Now, 
the thing is, is that herpes is just a, it's just a virus. It just causes a sore, you know. But the fact that it happens to occur on the genitals gives it a whole different meaning. I mean, think about this: is that you could get a sore, the same sore on your mouth, on your lips, or you could get that same sore in your genitals. And just think for a moment: which of those two circumstances gives you a more unpleasant, shameful feeling? Well. Definitely on, the, gen- on yeah, the genitals. Definitely on mm. the genitals, but uh, it doesn't look pretty on the mouth either. <laughs> no, 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 no. It certainly doesn't look pretty. But the amount of shame that you feel is definitely different, uh, mm. you know, between the two. Um, and of course, you have to manage that, and that can be very, very challenging. And in itself, so that's why I say, even though physically you're unlikely to have something dangerous happen to you, it's still something which is important and which is no laughing matter, put it that way. Now, Doc, uh, we were talking before the break about um, how to tell a new partner that you have an STI or an underlying herpes. Um, Mm. It it can't be an easy conversation, but I believe honesty is the best policy. So you, you must be open, but how? Yes. And I think that this is, you know, this is the key thing, you know, and this is why these having these conversations having you know, us talking about it and then and then being able to in a sense provide a model for how people can talk about this in their own in their own worlds and their own bedrooms is incredibly important because first of all it comes back just to talking about sex in general and that you know just talking about sex becomes something which is very fraught and difficult to do and then talking about STIs in general is a very difficult thing to do and then talking about herpes very specifically, is, it, is an even more difficult thing to do because of all this, these layers of stigma and shame that we're talking about. So the point that I'm making earlier is that when you do have that conversation with your partner-to-be, you mustn't go into that conversation with this feeling of shame in you. You do need to be open and honest and authentic, but you don't, you don't need to present it as a shameful thing. You must present it as something which it just happens to be. And what you want to do is describe in simple, neutral terms what it is. And perhaps in the beginning, you don't want to say, the wrong thing would be to say, you know what, I hate to tell you this, it's an awful thing, but I have to tell you, but I've, and then you say, I've got genital herpes in a big way, as if you're just creating some terrible, big disaster that you are, that you are conveying. What you say is in a, in a, you, you express it in a benign way and you use words like saying, well, I've had, you know, in the same way that people have herpes sores or cold sores, I happen to have them on my genitals. I've had them in the past and, you know, I know all about these and I know that this may be difficult. You can acknowledge the fact that this may be something difficult to talk about, but that you believe it's important to have open, honest discussions about these things. So what you're doing is you're emphasizing the fact that you want to have an open and honest discussion about something which is sensitive and which more often than not will become a really meaningful conversation with your partner. Yeah, but then you know, you don't know how your new partner will take it and some are going to assume that you've been very promiscuous and others will assume that, um, you know, or, or even just push you away after telling um, them your truth. So how do you prepare yourself for either being judged or being rejected? Well, 
I mean, I have there's two two responses that I've got to that. I mean, I think the first thing is it's not it's not the first thing that you that you say to to a person, you know, when you when you've just met them. Um, you, you know, you 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 hopefully wanting to have struck up a rapport. You've built a degree of trust. You've gotten to know each other on a level which is a little bit deeper in the most superficial sense, so that you are in a position to be able able to have a meaningful conversation. So that's, that's really something which is important to start from. Then one has to be mindful of the fact that any relationship involves a certain amount of judgment and the capacity for rejection. Doesn't you know whether there's the discussion around STIs or not? Every early relationship is fraught with the possibility of there being some form of rejection or not. The thing is that you can't avoid the fact that the reality is that you do have a herpes infection or you have had one, and that if that person finds out at a later stage, then what's happened is that the, the, the pushback and the capacity, the capacity to create discord and difficulty is much, much greater. So it's really in your interest to discuss it earlier on and before you've embarked on a sexual relationship than to wait at a later stage because that will undermine trust to a much, much greater degree than anything else that you could have anticipated. And the, the, the other thing is that there will be times, exactly as you say, where the partner will run, a, run away a thousand miles um, or will openly kind of make towards rejecting you. But what, what tends to find um, amongst partners is that while they experience it as being difficult, it's, it's too difficult for them to actually openly reject somebody outright because that makes them feel awful. And in fact, they're more likely to try to find a way of understanding it, getting information and working around it. And it is like what I call an early relationship stress test. If you happen to be early, very early in a relationship and that person is unable to be spoken about with, you know, about the subject and they openly reject you, unanimously and without further discussion. Well, in fact, you probably saved yourself quite a lot of hardship by having a relationship break down earlier than it otherwise would have. And if you do get past this, you've probably made that relationship all the more, um, all the, all, all the more strong as a result. But I think if it is the case that you are having a hookup or some type of casual sexual uh, liaison, which is really going to only be you know, for a short time, and people aren't invested in you besides the sexual experience that they're going to have, well, under those circumstances, well, you're rolling the dice anyway because you are theoretically rolling the dice with what they're not telling you. So it becomes a difficult transaction, you could say, and one which is fraught with, with problems, which one doesn't think about in the heat of the moment. Very true. Doc, um, because there are currently no cures for gentile herpes, are medical researchers trying to find a cure for the future or even possibly a vaccine? Yes. So, I mean, I think the first thing to be optimistic about, even without a cure, is that as you get older, it becomes less infectious and you get less outbreaks and eventually you just don't even know that you've got it. So just say, you know, while it is something that stays with you forever, it actually is something which... Um, as one gets older and older, tends to happen very, very less frequently, is very, very much less infectious, and in fact kind of goes close to being as if it's not there. So that is some bit of good news as well. Secondly, there are, there's a lot of work going on with vaccines, but there's really nothing that's translated through into um, mainstream clinical medicine at the moment. But I think with what we've seen with COVID-19 vaccines, I'm really optimistic 
that the whole area of vaccines is going to speed along really exponentially. And I'm not going to be surprised if we don't see within the next five to 10 years an effective vaccine for herpes. And we already have a vaccine for shingles. Maybe your listeners know a little bit about this. Shingles or herpes zoster is the virus that you get from chickenpox when you're a kid. It stays also in your nerves. And then you, get a, you can get a, a breakout giving you the condition of shingles at later stages. And there's a, a shingles vaccine, which means that if you have been exposed to chickenpox, as most people have, it can prevent you from having um, a shingles outbreak. So that's just maybe an example. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily directly pertinent to herpes, HSV1 and 2. But I'm optimistic that there will be a time in the not-too-distant future when there will be vaccines. As you talk about shingles, um, I'm surprised that you associated uh, with, with um, the chickenpox as opposed to what has been said around that once you have shingles, it's because you're HIV positive. So it's, you know, it's, it's one of those. So I'm, I'm, I think that's something I'd like you to just clarify for me. Yeah, no, okay, that's, that's good. You know, this, it, does, it is pertinent to our discussion around HSV1 and HSV2. So the reason why I bring up shingles is because the herpes zoster that, um, virus um, or, or varicella zoster, which is, is called, is part of the herpes family. It's like the cousin, the distant cousin of, of, of herpes is the, the shingles um, uh, infection or the, the varicella zoster uh, virus causing herpes zoster infection. So the viruses are very, very closely associated. So once again, as we said earlier, if your immune system is very, very low, then the virus which is in your system, having got there originally from chickenpox, then shows itself and comes out and comes out very, very strongly. So those people with um, poorly treated HIV or are immunocompromised can present with terrible shingles. I've seen some awful, awful cases because the immune system is so very, very compromised. And that does talk back a little on the question you asked me earlier about you know, what happens if you're having lots of herpes outbreaks or very severe herpes outbreaks. Similar thing to if you're getting very, very severe shingles. It means that underneath of that, there is a immunological problem. And that could be HIV or poorly treated HIV. Doc, and uh, when it comes to stress, stress levels and a person who has a dormant uh, herpes, Mm. does stress cause the herpes to have an outbreak or cause it to spread much faster? Yeah, no, Patricia, it certainly can. You know, stress, stress definitely weakens your immune system. And I'm sure your listeners have had personal experience of when they've been they've been going through really hard times, they're not sleeping, they're anxious, they're stressed, they get more colds, they get more infections. And one of the things that happens is that you're more likely to have outbreaks of, of herpes. So if you're going through a particularly stressful time or if the stress is like, uh, you know, you're getting a series of bad colds um, or even, I mean, COVID is an incredible stress on the body, uh, a COVID infection. And if you're somebody who's got underlying tendency towards herpes infections, I would be taking or suggesting that people take a preventative treatment to stop the herpes from coming up. So, And stress is, as I think we all know, it is really such a powerful magnifier on the body of all kinds of ailments and illnesses and um, really can undermine the body. Stress, stress is like the rust in the system. It kind of eats away at the 
at the, the seams and then allows the, the things that are beneath the surface to creep through. So, yeah, stress can be, you've got to manage your stress. It's really important. Mm. Dr. Smith, thank you very much for joining us for another powerful Thursday edition. Could you please give us contact details for your practice? Yes, um, with pleasure, Patricia. You can uh, check my website out on Dr. Anthony Smith, dranthonysmith.co.za, and all my details are on the website. Excellent. Thank you very much. Until next time, have a blessed evening. And a good evening to you, Patricia. Thank you. A-teamers, it is officially time for us to round up the week. What an interesting week it has been for us as A-teamers. But yeah, we are grateful that we are still together. Let's uh, continue staying safe. We're in the third wave now of COVID-19. So we must look after ourselves and each other, adhere to all regulations, please. And don't take anything lightly. Um, We'll be back again on Monday, by God's grace. (laughs) And uh, between now and then, let's interact on social media platforms let me know how your weekend is and uh, how safe you are um, keeping yourself and how warm you're keeping yourself in this winter at Patricia N. Nduli that's where you find me on social media platforms may goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success until Monday evening